Welcome to Technado. Welcome back to another very cynical episode of Technado. If you have hope in your heart, I promise you by the end of this episode, it will be gone. No, I'm, I'm exaggerating <laughs> a little bit, but there is a lot going on this week. Uh, a lot of companies that it seems like maybe they're kind of saying screw you a little bit. So we're going to talk about some of that this week. I'm your host, Sophie Goodwin. And joining us once again, it's been a few weeks since we've seen him, is Don Pazette. Don, how are you? I am doing well. I, I've been out of town for a couple of weeks, so I'm glad to be back on the podcast. And let me tell you, it's like the world has exploded while I was out. We've got some great stuff to talk about. Uh, numerous companies just flipping the double birds and everybody in the technology industry this week. Uh, so excited to talk about it. <laughs> and of course, we've got Daniel. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing well. I'm over here thinking Don being back is like our double birds to our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> well, like I said, we do have uh, quite a bit that we're going to get to talk about this week, so I'm looking forward to it, even if maybe I lose a little bit of the light in my eyes by the end of the episode. So we'll go ahead and jump right into our tech news segment. We're going to start off with some stuff going on in the world of cloud. This article comes to us from Ars Technica. Big tech can transfer Europeans' data to U.S. in win for Facebook and Google. So this was a data pack that was approved by the, I guess, whoever was supposed to approve it, the EU-US data pack that was supposed to be going on. And I guess there are privacy advocates that are concerned about this. So as a consumer, is this something that I would need to be worried about? Uh, I wouldn't say that it's something you need to be worried about, but it is a big deal. It's a big deal for companies and not just Google and Facebook. And I... I I'm pretty cynical on this one, right? So, you know, obviously, it's hard to feel sorry for Facebook and Google about literally anything. Because yeah, they're they, kind of known as a-holes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a good definition. Yeah. That's, that, that works. <laughs> they, uh, you know, basically have made their money by lifting people's personal data and private information and using it for all sorts of marketing and other purposes. So, to me, it's hard to have sympathy for an organization like that. They have been threatened with uh, uh, being monopolies that need to be broken up, with heavy data fines for sharing data and so on. And in all of that, various organizations like the EU have begun passing privacy laws to try and and, and rein some of that in, right? To, to limit the, the reach that these companies have. Well, when GDPR was passed, there was a fear, I, and let me clarify, not, this isn't a fear for regular people, like regular people don't care about this, but for companies that... If you had data for European users, that that data would have to be stored in Europe. Germany had some really aggressive laws about this. So, like, if you had an online streaming service, like your Netflix, then your German users and their data would have to be stored on servers in Germany. And your Russian users and your, you know, they're not EU, but they've got their own thing. So, imagine how much more difficult that makes it if you want to start a new company. You're an internet startup. And now you can't just have one data center and one deployment to start like a normal company would. Instead, you have to have multiple data centers, one for each country that you're doing business in. That's that's tough. And the U.S. was excluded from GDPR because there used to be something called the uh, the the Privacy Shield. Uh, it was called the U.S. Privacy Shield. It was an agreement between the U.S. and EU that allowed us to store data on Europeans over here in the U.S. Uh, when GDPR was passed, Privacy Shield became invalid. It, it wasn't. It wasn't honored anymore. It didn't count. Well, what's happened here is the EU, one of the, the courts, I forget which one, inside of the EU basically said, no, it, it's okay. It, it's okay <laughs> for the U.S. to store data on Europeans as long as they follow the rules. In other words, as long as you follow everything that's in GDPR and that you take reasonable precautions to protect that data, then it's okay. And so that's really helpful. If you want to start an internet company today, 
you don't have to worry about storing servers all over the place anymore. Now you can choose to have them, say, here in the U.S. or in the EU and exchange that data. So I read this was a bit uh, akin to like the Federal Reserve and the where the Federal Reserve says, oh, we're going to regulate, you know, banks and all that. Well, who are going to like, how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to hire a bunch of people from the banks to set the rules on how this is done. <laughs> from what I was reading, that this might be a little bit of that happening. Like, <laughs> oh, the U.S., okay, you got to make sure that it you know meets our security standards and then everything's cool, right? And we, we, we trust that you can do that. So you're going to do that, right? Yeah, cool. How are we going to know you're going to do it? We'll watch and make sure we do it. <laughs> we is, promise. Yeah, pinky swear. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I, I, obviously this is probably not the end of this it would seem that there are some privacy advocates that are still like, okay, well, we're, we're going to appeal this. We do not trust or think that the privacy standards in the U.S. are up to the standards that we are looking for when we got GDPR and why we're advocates for this. Plus, you kind of open up Europeans to spying, basically, by the U.S. Because, I mean, am I wrong in the idea that the U.S. government requires any encryption to be uh backdoored by them like they have the encryption keys not, for all not not yet standards. not in the u.s so they I want thought, that yes they, okay yeah they've tried to pass rulings on that right uh there are some countries like like russia that do already have rules like gotcha. that in place yeah you know um where this affects us in the technology industry is really in a few places so there's a challenge imagine if you're running a website and you have to store user accounts and some random person browses to your website and tries to create an account. How do you know where they're, where they're coming from? How do you route them to the right server? Yeah. It's a technolo technological challenge. So a lot of DNS services like Route 53 allow you to geo route people based on their IP address to try and send them to a server. And that's in response to, well, latency one, right. we want also fast. privacy laws like these, mm. right? And do you ever get, I get annoyed by this, you, you know, you go to a website and you go to log in and there's a username and a password field. And if you got a password manager, it fills them in, right? But do you ever go to one where it just asks for the username and that's it? Yes. And then you got to fill that in. It's annoying because the password manager won't catch that. Right. And then on the next page, then it asks for the password, right? Do you know why they do that? Privacy laws. Privacy laws. Yeah. <laughs> they, they get that email address to figure out, did they route you to the right place? Is your user data stored where that server is? And if it isn't, they can route you to somewhere else, and that's why that goes on to a second page. It is annoying to us as end users, but we don't necessarily know about that technology behind the scenes that's that's really just there because of privacy laws. So it's like funny, these. you know, like you say it's annoying to us as end users, and I, I would totally agree. I've, I've, I've had to have some hard conversations with people I love about these things, and they have finally seen the light that I am correct because I do this for a living and I know what I'm talking about, and... Yes, it is a little more annoying, but after a while, you kind of get used to it. Like, I've just accepted that this is my life. It doesn't really bother me to have to fill these things in anymore. So hopefully that comes, uh, by the way, that, that, that it's not like a problem for people anymore. They just re uh, realize we're getting the convenience isn't worth the insecurity of it, right? Hopefully that happens. Now, my question is, Don, is what's your prediction on this? Do you think that these European privacy advocates and lawyers are going to win or the multi-billion dollar companies are going to prevail on this? Where, where, where do you stand? So I think as far as the data exchange, this is this is very similar mm. to the cookie uh, cookie prompts, right? Mm. Uh, every website has a cookie prompt because it's in the in GDPR. And 
it sounded like a good idea on paper. And then in practice, people have become so numb to these. I, I don't know, like, so yeah. do, do, do you even recognize when you see those anymore? Or is it just... The little banner that pops up and says, do you want to accept or... Re Usually I just reject all just because I don't really feel like dealing with it, but it'll let me adjust them to what I want, I guess. Do you I ever do that? Do you ever go in no, and adjust no, them? I, I don't have the motivation to do that, no. <laughs> exactly. So on, on paper, it sounded like a good idea. In practice, it's just this annoying thing. Yeah. Uh, there was even a plug-in for a while, like a, a Chrome that extension. That was like auto-click that. And it yeah. was called, I don't care about cookies. <laughs> and it was like, fine, whatever, <laughs> screw it. Give me cookies. I, yeah. Just don't bother me every time I go to a website. Um, and some websites like uh, Stack Overflow are the mm. worst, where... It, it never remembers anything. It never remembers anything. They always prompt about the damned cookies. And so... In the case of saying EU data has to be stored in the EU, I think it sounded good on paper. Yeah. And then once they started seeing what companies had to go through to make that happen and how it was killing the ability to start new companies, <laughs> I think they've recognized they need to back off of that. So in in that perspective, I think the tech titans are kind of winning, mm. but they're not out of the woods. Like they're still being accused of being monopolies. And That's it's true. kind of hard not to argue that they. Wait, I'm using too many. That's yeah. right. Quadruple negative. It's there. it's hard to argue. Yeah, it's, it's hard to argue. I, the that point is, they're, they're probably not. monopolies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't make that sentence work. I'm no, sorry. No, no. <laughs> Diagram that for us, Don. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going uh, through some of the comments on here just to see what people have to say about it. Oh, and, that's a mistake. Uh, right. <laughs> it's, it's always interesting to see. You know, people get angry about stuff that they probably don't need to be angry about. But uh, somebody said. I've been spending almost two full months working on moving our entire AWS cluster to Ireland because the U.S. wasn't compliant for EU citizen account data after the Facebook verdict. There you go. Great. So he, I guess, is saying that, like, I did all that for nothing, basically. Yes, yes. Does awesome. Facebook still have to pay the $1.2 billion GDPR fine? I, I think that's I think, still... I, I think they maybe have to pay the fine, but they... They were concerned about the disruption in service. So now they're saying that because this data pact went through, yeah. the service is going to be interrupted and they keep doing what they're doing. But I think they still have to pay, I think. Okay. Yeah. I think that's still being appealed and all that too. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, $1.2 billion is not that much to a company like Facebook. The yeah. rest of it is an astronomical amount. Um, so they could suck it up, but they'll they'll run through every legal channel before they, they pay a dollar on yeah. it. Oh, I see. Okay, so that was first. Uh, that first happened, I guess, back at the end of May. And yeah, you're right. They're still they're still working on appealing it. So yeah. it may be a little bit, I guess, before there's a final decision on that. Yeah, I mean, you have to remember this is the company that has literally pissed away thirty five billion dollars on the metaverse. <laughs> it has nothing to show for Listen, it. Listen, Don, it's it's time is coming. Okay? <laughs> yeah. That time is, you know, to be put in the ground, but it's time is coming. Yeah, you can throw on your <laughs> Apple VR glasses and jump in the metaverse and We will all be, be spending more time in the metaverse than we will in meat space. Listen, somebody That's watched funny. a little too much of Ready Player One. Yeah. It was like, I need the Oasis. <laughs> It'll, it'll just be like you, Tim Cook, and you two, and that's it. Like, yeah. nobody else. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Bono. <laughs> Just hey. You won't you won't have a choice. You have to interact yeah. with Bono. That's yeah. just required. <laughs> That's the hell that is the metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> well, we promised you a uh, a cynical episode of Technado. We're not going to disappoint. <laughs> no, we're not. We'll go ahead and move on to our next topic here. Some things going on with Linux that may or may not be so great. Uh, so this first article <laughs> comes to us from Pharonix. It says Ubuntu Maker Canonical pulls in control of LXD. So we we have a couple articles here that we're kind of going to be pulling from, but. Can you kind of break down exactly what this is? I'm, I'm, sure. I'm not a Linux user, so what does this mean? Yep, so I, I don't know what's going on over at Canonical, but they are 
making decisions. You cannot on drugs. Them. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot accuse them of being indecisive or whatever. Like they've decided that right now is the time to make change. And and I'm seeing this in a number of tech companies right now. Uh, it, it's like the layoffs that happened back in November of last year or uh, October. We're right before the holidays, the best time to do layoffs. <laughs> where I don't mean to laugh at your plight. I'm so sorry. But, it, it, it's, but the irony of that yeah. just caught me. <laughs> so uh, yeah. one company did some layoffs, then another, and then it just kind of uh, snowballed. Yeah. And you had every company going, well, hey, now's the time. So there's something in the air right now where tech companies are saying, now's the time for big changes. Now's the time, not just for big changes, but big changes that our users aren't going to like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now's, now's the time to just flip off our users, <laughs> give them the bird and tell them they're going to like this. Yeah. And there's no other option. So, uh, so Ubuntu is doing a few things. One of them is with LXD. Now, if you're not familiar with LXD. Containers. They apparently are. Yeah, yeah, they, oh, LXD. Exactly gotcha. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. So containers. When, when I say containers, most people think Docker. And Docker is a very, very popular container format, really the leading one. Uh, Kubernetes to manage it and, and, and so on, right? That, that's a, a pretty well-known deployment. But it's not the only container solution that's out there. In fact, LXC or Linux containers, LXC is an alternative that's completely open source and managed by a, uh, an open source group. Well, a long time ago, uh, a daemon was created called LXD to allow managing Linux containers or LXC. So think of LXD as like Kubernetes is to Docker, LXD is to LXC. And up until recently, it was part of an open source committee that managed this out in the open. Um, that was all managed by the, uh, the Linux containers group. Well, Canonical has decided that they're going to bring LXD back in-house. So they've taken it out of that open source group's control and brought it into Canonical's control. Now, Canonical is a commercial entity, right? They are a for-profit business, and so they've now taken that in. Now, if you don't use LXC and LXD, what do you care, right? And I, I think that's probably Canonical's angle on this is, hey, this is obviously not competing against Docker right now. Docker is winning. We want to bring it in-house so we can make some unpopular changes to it that might help it to gain some market share. So we'll, we'll have to see where they go on this, but it's interesting to see them pull it back. And if you are using LXD in production, you'll want to keep an eye on this because who knows what changes are going to happen and you will not get a say in it because it's now completely under Canonical's control. You think we'll see groups forking off of the open source uh, versions of that so that they can continue that open source vein? You might. Uh, uh, it, it's not It's not a terribly popular protocol. Well, or, then screw it, Don. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't know if there's enough support to fork it. Uh, you know, remember Unity? Yeah. The, uh, the desktop Ubuntu. manager. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when, when Canonical abandoned that, a group did step in and fork that, even though it was wildly unpopular. Right. <laughs> so there are some people who like it. Uh, maybe that'll happen. We'll, yeah. we'll have to see. It does seem to be a bit weird, like all this, you know, open source ideas and philosophy kind of intertwining with capitalist for-profit, you know, closed source worlds and how they're kind of coming together and, and, you know, see things like this where you go, Oh yeah, I know it was open source. We're going to pull it over here. And we're going to do stuff with it. And yeah, we're going to do that to make money and, and build a profit share, which is going to piss a lot of people off that really like this. Like, okay. Like, yeah, it's weird. I think this might be building up to something. Uh, we'll have to see, you know, 
Kubernetes is largely funded by Google. So Google is heavily invested well, in that. Kubernetes <laughs> probably wouldn't exist in its current form if it wasn't for Google. Um, LXD has heavily been invested by Canonical, but hasn't been controlled by them. Canonical has been really close with Microsoft the last year or two. And so, you know, Microsoft needs container management and they've got their Windows container service, which is terrible, but they, you know, <laughs> they've got some stuff. So I, I think there may be some kind of partnership here gotcha. that we'll see come to fruition. But, you know, this isn't the only thing that, that Canonical has done this week. Like they also announced that they are ending support for their minimum installs. Now, when you install Ubuntu, I used to be very critical of Ubuntu because it was so bloated with software until they started doing their minimal installs. Because then you could install just the bare minimum and add just the pieces you wanted. Right. They're not doing that anymore. They're, they're removing support. And it's pretty obvious why. They want everyone to use Snaps. <laughs> and I, I think we all know my opinion on Snaps. And the minimal install isn't great for running Snaps because you need a bunch of extra stuff on top of it. And so mm. they are you know, just, again, trying to, to push extra software on us. These are not, in my opinion, great decisions. It's just... Yeah, I use the term loosely, but it's very fascistic, right? Is it you will use this? This is how it is, you know, totalitarian, authoritarian. Yeah. Like, if you go down, if you start drinking the Ubuntu Kool Aid at this point, you might be in for a little more than you bargained for. If if they're going to continue to do things like this, where they are are ham fistedly saying, "Yep, we're we're going to remove all the things you like, and you're going to like it." Especially <laughs> when you're not truly trapped, right? Because you could say, you know what, I'm fine. I'll I'll use right. Debian. I'll, I'll use you know Linux Mint. I'll use <sighs> really enjoy Linux Mint. Yeah. Uh, so if we didn't have choice, if it was Microsoft, right, right, trying to screw you over, you you can't say, well, I'm going to use IBM's Windows. Well, no, no, you're not. It doesn't exist. <laughs> so yeah, that that's a little different. But in this case, it, it is odd. I, I'm not sure it's where it's going. It's weird. On this. Yeah, the fact that like from that community is starting to stem this tide, or not stem the tide, but um, that this is what is being ushered in. It's just odd to me. It seems contradictory. Yep. I, I suspect over the next few months, we'll we'll hear some greater plan yeah. that, that Ubuntu has. But in the meantime, they're doing some damage. And uh, <laughs> you know, if you're uh, architecting a new solution that's based on Linux, you might want to take the opportunity to evaluate. Nothing that's like torpedoing right the thing that like keeps people around to try to build a brand that people are going to want to have. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of torpedoing, though, we need to move into the next article. <laughs> I was looking at some of these other articles, and it looks like they're Canonical's leading LXD engineer quit because he was upset about all this stuff, and it really, when it rains, it pours. That doesn't LXD. sound right. It, it was like, this is not the company I joined. They're not the same. I would not want to join this company today. So, yikes. Sounds like nobody's happy about this, yeah. um, or very few people are happy. But like Don said, we're going to go ahead and move on. We're, we're not leaving the world of Linux, though. We got more Linux stuff to talk about. <laughs> This next article comes from ZDNet. It says, Red Hat's new rule, open source betrayal, question mm. mark, the newest mystery novel available at <laughs> your local Barnes & Noble. So <laughs> so this is more, it kind of sounds, not I hate to say bad news without really knowing what it means, but it, it does sound like it's being framed as like, this is not a good thing. Yeah. If, if I had to do the headline of this article, it would be, Red Hat's new rule, screw you, users. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, it's been a while now, uh, over a year, since Red Hat pulled the rug out from under CentOS. So if, you, if you're not familiar with this whole process, I'll just recap it real quick. I had this highly popular... <laughs> Yeah. Red Hat makes Red Hat Enterprise Linux, R-H-E-L, or RHEL, and RHEL is the most 
popular commercially supported version of Linux. If you're a business and you want to run Linux as an OS on a server or a desktop and you want commercial support, Red Hat is who you go to. Well, Red Hat got acquired by IBM. IBM thinks different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's they do. Apple's slogan, but IBM totally does it. They think different uh, in terms of how they can bill you. And so <laughs> that's really changed things. Now, we can't blame this on IBM because after acquiring Red Hat, they then promoted Red Hat's CEO to be the CEO of IBM. So this is still Red Hat making these decisions. It's not like some kind of bait and switch going mm -hmm. on here. But basically, now Red Hat is, I, I guess, under... They have to be under like investor pressure or something because mm. they're looking at their products and saying, how can we make money on them? One problem was that with RHEL, their commercial Linux, they would release the source code and groups would compile that source code to create free versions of RHEL. And that's what CentOS was. Well, they said, well, we'll put a stop to that. They took control of CentOS just like Ubuntu is taking control of LXD. They, they did the same thing. And then they let a year go by. And then after that, they said, okay, for now on... CentOS is not going to be a direct mirror of RHEL. It's going to have some experimental stuff in it. So now it's called CentOS Stream, and we're dropping CentOS. And so that that was a big challenge. And we had Rocky Linux, Alma Linux, uh, Oracle Linux, and somebody else. There were a couple Poop of scientific Linux. Linux. <laughs> a couple of people came out, and they said, all right, we're still going to build this stuff, though. It'll be fine. You know, everything's fine. <laughs> You can, you can get around this. Is that Maury Povich I see? He's coming here. He's got a piece of paper in his hand. <laughs> so uh, so that was a bit of a, a challenge, but people worked around it. And so then Red Hat said, oh, you've worked around it. Well, here, hold my beer. Yeah. Uh, now they said, you know what? Um, screw it. We're, we're just going to we're gonna kill off sharing source code. We're, we're not going to share the source code of RHEL anymore. Uh, they made some changes, and this is actually legal. So, so before you think they're, they're not allowed to do that, the way the GPL is written is if Red Hat creates a, a modified version of Linux, they have to distribute the source code, but not to everybody. They have to distribute the source code to their paying customers. And so if you buy a copy of Linux from, from Red Hat or IBM, whatever, they have to give you the source code under the GPL, everything that, that's not closed source. They have to only give it to you. Only if you buy it? And when, only if you buy it. And when you buy it, you sign an end-user license agreement that says you'll not distribute the code. And so they're able to meet the minimum requirements of the GPL, but not make it where you can distribute it. So they've effectively closed it off. It's not truly closed source, but it's walled off. It it's is. not free, <laughs> right? So there's a difference between open source software and free software, right? So, you know, RHEL has really never been free software. So the way they got around this was, is the only way you can get Red Hat is by purchasing it. Yes. Right? And since the copy, the GPL says that if you distribute this, it must be distributed with the source. Yes. The only way it's being distributed is by that. And then they added this lovely little addendum that says, if you have our stuff, you agree to our end user license agreement that says you can't distribute it. That's it. In a nutshell. Oh, so we call those people a certain thing. <laughs> Are we allowed to say it? Uh, probably not. <laughs> but, yeah, like you said, we've got options, right? And, I mean, this is going to, uh, apparently it's going to make a gap that needs to be filled, right? That, that void will get filled by somebody. It is. So, right off the bat, when this was first announced, Alma Linux and Rocky Linux, they said, well, hey, this is no big deal. We'll just buy a copy and get the source code. And, and Red Hat said, ah, no, you won't. And 
Uh, and so they kind of shut that down. And so now they're talking about like what, what Daniel mentioned earlier is, can we just fork Red Hat right. as it is right now and then start developing a separate? Well, when you do that, it's now a separate OS. Right. So all of the the bug fixes and backporting, the, the backporting is really the most important thing that, that RHEL does. Uh, all the, the bug fixes and backporting that they do will no longer be included in those forks. And so that fork is really no different than running any other distro at that point. So it really is a way of, I mean, basically what Red Hat is saying, here, I'll boil it down to the simplest terms possible, is you can pay to use our product or you can not use our product. That's it. Yeah. 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 So eventually, like, who do you think will be the next uh, king of the hill here? That <laughs> like, We're going to see a bunch of Debian servers going up. and There are other players that right. are out there. Uh, you know, Oracle Linux has been free for a long time, yeah. but nobody wants to get in bed with Oracle. That's yeah, like... That is a shit show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's the old... Uh, what, what's that... Oh, it's the old um, Aesop's fable. The fox and the is it the fox and the scorpion. Or the frog and the scorpion. Okay, yeah. across the river. Across the river, yeah. I, oh yeah, because like the scorpion's like, take me across the river. I promise I won't sting you. Yeah, and then because if, if I sting you, we'll both die, right? Yeah. And then he gets in the middle of the river and he stings him. And he goes, "Why did you do that?" He said, "It's my nature." Yep. So I mean, Dang. when Aesop yeah. wrote that, cynic. He, <laughs> he was he was thinking of Oracle. <laughs> and granted, this was thousands of years before Oracle. Yeah, but like that's yeah. why they call the company Oracle. That's, that's right. Just, he was just ahead of his used time. an that's Oracle all. to look into the future. It's like one day there'll be a database company that's yeah. gonna sting you no matter what. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> you just don't know when. There's no way around it. They got they are a silver tongue devil though. Uh, <laughs> So normally I would say, what a phenomenal opportunity for Canonical, right? But here they are, Ubuntu, like, putting like, on their jackboots. Yeah, <laughs> hey, Ubuntu is still free. You just pay for support when Until you want Until it. it's not. What a great opportunity. And they're screwing it up. <laughs> and so, so now you're back to, you know, is it? Devian, uh, Arch, I, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know who's going to be the winner out yeah. of this one. Uh, maybe, hell, maybe it's Microsoft Linux, right? The, <laughs> we'll all be running Mariner. Yeah, I was going to say, what is the name of that Mariner thing? Mariner, CDL. that's it. <laughs> Jeez, AWS, that's what it'll be, the AWS Linux. Or maybe Steam will win, right? It'll be the Steam Linux. <laughs> yeah. I forget what that one's called. Yeah, yeah. SteamOS? Oh, yeah, SteamOS. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so who knows? Garlic. Uh, it's just, it's a weird time, and I, I love Linux, but... It's really moving away from what it was. What, like the last two weeks, it's like it's all on fire. They yeah. just said, but we're going to burn this sucker down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the time of fruition has come, Doc. Yeah. I mean, come, let us quench our thirst of blood. <laughs> so I don't know if another distro will will pick up the slack. Uh, you know, Maybe Susie Linux, maybe this is their day finally, because they never had a day. Mm. Uh, or or maybe it's time like FreeBSD or, or one of those other variants, not OpenBSD, but yeah, like, yeah. like FreeBSD will maybe step up to the plate and finally right. do their thing. I don't know. Yeah, knows, it's a weird time. It really is. Well, now I have a legitimate reason for not being a Linux user. I can just lie and say, well, it's just because things are crazy over there. And yeah. I don't really feel like it's a dumpster involved. fire. Yeah, yeah. I just I was ahead of my time and I knew all that was going to happen. That's why I stayed away from it. So maybe in the future, hopefully things die down here in the next few weeks and, and this is not going to be a recurring segment on Technado. We'll just, <laughs> we'll just create, yeah, the cynic. That'll be the new segment yeah. that we have here on Technado. We will go ahead and give you a break from our cynicism. Uh, we will be back in just a moment with more security news. So don't go away. Stay tuned for more Technado. 
Tired of trying to schedule your team's time around in-person learning? Isn't it a bummer to spend thousands of dollars on travel for professional development? What if we said you can save money and time and still provide your team with the best training possible? The answer to your woes is live online training from ACI Learning. With live online training, we provide our top in-person courses in private, online, instructor-led formats. You get to provide professional development in a manner that fits today's expectations. Entertaining, convenient, and effective. Our exam-aligned courses inspire the full potential of your team. Visit virtual instructor-led training at ACI Learning for more info. Welcome back for more TechNado. As much as I like to delay things, I'm going to go ahead and jump right into our next segment, which has all about security news and this first, uh, I guess this first section, I have to do the voice, is called Dope! Do re mi fa so la ti do so do. I'll work on it. Are we just doing dough every time now? I don't know. <laughs> it seems I, like you are. I think it's one of our most That's, consistent It really segments. is. Yeah. Because I've got to get the practice in. Yeah. i got to get the reps in, you know? So this article comes to us from SC Media. It says, high severity bug in Cisco data center. Cisco data center switches lets attackers break into encrypted traffic. Now, now it looks to me, maybe I'm wrong. I don't see the problem. But it, yeah, yeah, no, this is fine. This is fine. Who, who care? It looks to me like there's no, uh, as of yet, no software updates released to address the vulnerability. No plans for software updates to address it, and no workarounds. So I think so, that's the article. Yeah. What, what, is, what does that mean for people that that, uh, that this might affect? Uh, they're screwed. Yeah. F you. Oh, this really <laughs> is a cynical episode yeah. of Technado. That's great. All right. Um, well, let, let, let's put some boundaries on this one. Uh, for the record, it does have a CVSS score of only 7.4. So this isn't considered highly critical. And the reason is this exploit takes advantage of the way that Cisco switches, in, in particularly Cisco Nexus switches, allow you to connect multiple data centers together. If you're not familiar with these, Cisco Nexus switches are their, their higher end, a lot of times they're called fabric switches because they can be used for SANs and other things, but they're very, very popular in data centers. And if you've got more than one data center, you probably want to have a secure connection between those data centers. Now, we know we can throw a firewall in, build up VPN tunnels that way, and use technologies like that. But Cisco Nexus switches are so powerful, they can actually build up an encrypted connection themselves. So you can connect a switch or a switch cluster in one data center to a switch cluster in an entirely separate data center. Now you've got a secure pathway to exchange data running switch to switch, all at layer two. So whatever layer three protocol you're running, whatever other traffic you're trying to flow can seamlessly pass between the data centers and it's nice and secure. Except whatever library it is that Cisco is using to provide encryption here, they screwed it up. They screwed up the implementation and they don't have a way to fix it. Isn't that fun and quirky? And <laughs> it certainly is. That's, a, that's an original. I, I'm going to credit you with that, Daniel. Thank you. You should. You should. <laughs> all me. Uh, I... I, I guess we should credit our producer, Christian, with that one, because that's what he says every time we screw something up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't see that because he edits it out. <laughs> but uh, but anyhow, the thing is with this is it's not incredibly popular. Not a lot of people make use of this, that people do use security appliances to create these secure tunnels between systems, and they don't like relying on a switch to create the tunnel for them. So it's not terribly popular, so the, the user base is pretty small. The second thing is for somebody to take advantage of this, right? This compromise is significant enough that an outside attacker could compromise the integrity of the encryption. They could read the encrypted data and modify it. So it's as bad as it gets, right? So they can completely affect the data inside of this secure tunnel. And the thing about it, though, is they have to be 
in the middle of that data transfer. So they either have to be in the source or in the destination, which is already its own problem, or they have to have compromised an ISP along the way. That's not a trivial thing to do. So this would be an incredibly difficult attack to pull off with a technology that's not very popular in the first place. And so what Cisco is basically telling people is, turn it off. Just turn it off and use something else. Yeah, I, I believe that in, in the advisory, they basically said, so turn it off, don't use it, call us, and you can buy something new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the Apple way of fixing things. Right. Hey, <laughs> Cisco's taking a back. page out of their book. Just give us some more money. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> I mean, your Switch is like three months old. It's time to upgrade. I mean, we've got it in rose gold. <laughs> <laughs> don't think of this as a vulnerability. Think of it as an excuse to go shopping. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, this one's, this one's bad. It does affect Nexus, which is those are incredibly popular. So a lot of people are going to be worried about this. If you haven't already, your CIO will probably ask you about whether or not you're affected. But the odds of you using the site-to-site -site, uh, uh, encryption feature that's put here is pretty low. But if you do use it, this is a big deal. You're going to want to turn that off. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, but fortunately, there's a lot of other alternatives that are out there. You just have to decide whether you would trust that to your layer two devices or, or Nexus switches are almost always layer three switches anyway. But, uh, but do you want to trust it to that device or bring in an actual security appliance? Now I did see a funny quote in this article. Let me see if I can find it. Um, there, there was a security expert who, um, uh, is it this Bambanek? Is that who it was? No, somebody in here said, uh, Oh, Nerey, N-E-R-A-Y, is a security researcher who said, you know, that he he had not seen it before, where a company just said, turn off this feature and use a different product. And I thought that was odd because we've seen that with like Fortinet, right? Yeah. Didn't, didn't Fortinet just do that? It was like last week, wasn't it? Or a week <laughs> yeah. before or something? <laughs> oh no, no, it wasn't Fortinet. Sorry, it was Barracuda. Oh, Barracuda. Barracuda that? was like. No, nah, you, I shut that thing off. Yeah, that's <laughs> POS right there. And I don't mean good. point of sale. So, <laughs> so uh, apparently he hadn't read the news in recent weeks because this is not <laughs> not an outlier anymore. Oh, it's a fun <laughs> new world we're living in, Don. Uh, imagine, do you guys ever get recalls on your car? Like a recall? Oh, yeah. Car? I have an appointment yeah, yeah. to fix one, like, next week. Yeah. Hey, imagine if they, I don't know, your car is like a Mazda. Oh, Mazda, yeah. So imagine Mazda sends you a, a postcard. It just says, hey, there's a problem with your car. Just turn it off. Just, just turn it <laughs> off. Don't, don't drive your car anymore. Go, go buy a new one. So I have an Infinity. Yep. <laughs> it's like, so you, you have these, um, you know, the key fob, mm -hmm. right? And it's got to be, it's basically got NFC and the key fobs can die. And then you can't start your car ever because they're, they're basically encrypted communications between the key nice. fob and that. And once that goes... That's over. So super secure. Okay. Sliding scale. Like, right? That seems like a mistake in design there. Good people over at Infinity. Yeah. <laughs> so now now you see Daniel walking around and he's got like an otter box for yeah, his key fob. Yeah, right. <laughs> completely encased in like any the most hardened material known to man. Yeah. You get get whatever case they ship Fabergé eggs in. Yes, yes, <laughs> I've got it insured. <laughs> I can, I can no chances with that. Lloyd's of London loves the call. <laughs> so this this applies, like you said, specifically to to certain switches, right? So if you are an owner or user of one of these switches, I guess you get to go shopping if you need a new one, or if you still have a use for that switch. Yeah. I think it is worth mentioning, Sophie, the switch itself is still capable of performing all of its on-prem functions just fine. It's just this one particular feature. So if you have the switch, you don't have to get rid of it. You just 
turn off this tunnel, use something else to build your tunnel. Right. Okay. And and that's that's a that's an easier pill to swallow than replace a switch because these these are not cheap switches. No, they're not yeah. giving them away. Right. So if you so if you need use of that feature, you just have to find a different way to do it. Right. Okay. Right. Gotcha. <clears throat> I wonder if I can find out what that would cost. I'm going to try and buy one of these. Sixty-seven thousand dollars. <laughs> Some of them are. Yeah. I, the, the Nexus. I, I think they start like at like 40? nine thousand. Oh, really? They're not. Yeah, because they have those the little ones that are used oh, okay. for the the okay. um, uh, fiber, small fiber sands. But then the the bigger ones they they really go up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fifty-four thousand. Fifty-five. One hundred six thousand. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Depending, and that's a 9508. I'm looking for one of the ones that's affected is the 9364, which is a big one. Um, and uh, CDW doesn't have it, so I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah they're expensive. <laughs> yeah. It's like a house. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And that is why you get a little phone number from Cisco that when you buy these things and if anything goes wrong, you call them and go, fix this, please. And they yeah. go, okay. Well, not in this case. Yeah, not, not in this case. In this case, it's double birds following our cynicism episode. Say, we're, we're really delivering on that point. Yes. I'm, I'm curious to see if we continue on that path here in this next article. We're going to go ahead and jump into a different segment. This segment is called Who Got Pwned? Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah! This article comes to us from InfoSecurity Magazine. It says, ongoing incident prompts Jump Cloud to reset API keys. So maybe I'm, I might be missing something in this article here. I read through it. I didn't see anything detailing exactly what the incident was, just that it's ongoing. Is that on purpose? Uh, it is on purpose, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, it's it's code. <laughs> when you when you hear ongoing incident, that's secret code for we don't know what happened. Something, <laughs> something bad is going on, and we don't know the extent of it yet. And you're allowed to play that card for a couple of days, right? But like GDPR and all that requires 72-hour notification. So they the, the timer is ticking. <laughs> for us to find out what's going on, but whatever it is, it's bad. <laughs> you know, um, I when I first saw this article, I, I read it wrong. Uh, I don't know why I do this. I, I do it a lot, um, but I didn't read it as Jump Cloud. I read it as Jump Desktop. Uh, do you guys remember Jump Desktop? Uh, Dell owns them now, but it would let you remotely connect to a desktop of a computer. Hmm. So you know, you could have your work computer where you go home and you remote connect. Um, and I thought, wow, that's bad. If if attackers can remote into your desktop, um, this is actually worse. It seems like a problem, Don. <laughs> this is way worse. <laughs> Jump Cloud. If you're not familiar with them, they make identity management solutions. So basically, they take it's like a single sign-on. Yes. Yeah. They take Open Directory, which is open source, but then they've stacked a ton of proprietary code around it to make it connect to things like Microsoft 365 and uh, Azure AD, Google Workspace, you know, all these different systems so that if you have a company that deals with 20 different systems, you can have single unified user identities. Well, user identities are kind of important. Just a little uh, bit. I would go as far as to say it's probably some of the most important data that you would you would hold. And the actions they're taking tell us a lot about what's going on. So they, out of an abundance of caution, which is a phrase you hear now, it used to be on the advice of my attorney. <laughs> now it's out of an abundance of caution. Uh, they have invalidated API keys tied to admin accounts. All right. Now that tells you right off the bat that API keys tied to admin accounts have been compromised. Yes. And Daniel, wild guess here. What do you think you could do, like within limits, uh, if you had the admin API keys? Uh, you know what? Mm, 
probably anything you want, Don. <laughs> that generally is what those keys are for. Is literally everything. Yes. Um. It, it literally when we say the keys to the kingdom, we mean admin API keys. Right. <laughs> literally, this is what we mean. Yes. Yeah. So um. So it's bad. <laughs> it's yeah. Really bad. Yeah. Uh. This yeah. is like this is worst case scenario kind of like dogs and cats living together action going on here, right? Uh, it could be. No. Let's let's be positive. Silver lining, right? Well, why start now? Yeah. I'm trying to to keep Sophie. I, I've going. decided we need, <laughs> we need to come up with a new segment or call an episode. I'm Rick James. Yeah. <laughs> or or the sky is falling. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Just where I'm like, I do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, cross your fingers. Think positive. It's possible that they saw some unauthorized access. Haven't quite figured out what it is yet. Out of an abundance of caution, they reset these API keys, and then they find out, oh wait, this was just some unscheduled maintenance. You know, Bob, the intern who's fully under NDA and trained in data security, uh, you know, made this change. We just didn't know about it, and whoops, our bad. Right? That could happen. That's so, not usually how the story goes, though. It isn't, but it could. Yeah. Right. It, it's possible. <laughs> there is a world in which that could occur. So you're saying it's probably that? not this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're gonna get into like multidimensional strength theory here to pull that one out of our ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it's certainly possible. So I'm just trying to not be cynical for a moment. Yeah, no, I, I <laughs> appreciate hard. that for my benefit. Break with tradition, all right. Yeah. <laughs> it, I know you said that usually this that whole ongoing incident kind of thing is usually only good for several days or whatever. And it looks like, from what I can find, the earliest like public notification of this was July 5th or 6th. And so as oh. of- yeah. We're way past notification this morning. <laughs> yeah. As of as of recording this, and, and I've checked, there were some articles on it this morning, still no no clarification, no like specifics on it. So it's been like a week or so. Apparently they are Rick James. It's yeah. <laughs> Do what they want. Yeah. Well, uh, so here, here's how I look at it, right? For a normal company, you've got this three-day notification window, right. and you have to notify your customers. You don't have to notify the press and the public. So maybe yeah. maybe they have already notified their customers. I'm not a Jump Cloud customer, so maybe maybe that's it. Um, but the other thing is, if if you're a security company, I'm thinking like LastPass, right. right? LastPass' sole focus was on safely storing your passwords. And when they botched it, <laughs> does it really matter if the EU gets mad at you and gives you a fine? I guess not. Like, I mean, how long before they're out of business, honestly? Yeah. And, <laughs> and so maybe, maybe Jump Cloud's at that point where like, this is so bad that who cares? The Titanic is sinking, so why rearrange the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The furniture. We're, we've got all sorts of weird euphemisms in this episode. Yeah, <laughs> we are smart. <laughs> well, maybe we'll hear again from Jump Cloud in next week's episode. Oh, we'll hear about Jump Cloud. <laughs> I guarantee. It's just a matter of how soon, how long it takes for us to for us to bring them back. So. We're going to be like in the next week. Remember Jump Cloud? Yeah. <laughs> I hear their assets Vaguely. are at auction this week. <laughs> Get a really good price on some of those Cisco switches. <laughs> You know, that's, it is possible these things can be linked. <laughs> when it rains, it pours. What? Like a series oh, of unfortunate events, oh, right? Man, man. Well, good luck to Jump Cloud on, on dealing with that. We'll go ahead and uh, jump into our next segment. Haha, you're allowed to laugh. Uh, this segment is called Don't Make No Sense. What you talking about, Willis? I was hoping maybe we'd have some happy news. Maybe it is happy. Maybe the headline's just misleading. This comes to us from the record. 
Iran-based hackers targeting nuclear security experts through Mac and Windows malware. So it got worse. We went from bad news to worse news. This, so this sounds If you serious. read that sentence a little differently, you can say, uh, Iran-based hackers. <laughs> Based capital B. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess by their standards, they probably are. Yeah. You know, I this is one of the, the the occasions where I pick an article because it doesn't make any sense to me, and I I, I hope Daniel can apply some some logic to this for me. But uh, Iran targeting nuclear scientists around the world is not a new thing. So they've been doing that for a long time. The bulk of the scientific research that they've got has been extracted from other countries. So that's just like a known thing. It's not new. And for them to do what amounts to an email spear phishing campaign, that's not new. And in the details of the article, they're talking about how they, they have like uh, visual basic scripts that are being sent as email attachments. And that's absolutely not new. You can't even open those in a modern email client. And so I don't get this. Like, why, why is this even a threat? Like, Daniel, are, are they doing something new to, to try and get through to these people? Yes, they are doing something new. So, yes, they're as I was reading through. What's going on with this specific security incident and what's happening here? They are adapting. They are evolving their attack chain, right? So they used to send VBA. That doesn't work anymore. Oh, golly gee willikers, what do we do now? Person in Tehran, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my Tehranian brother, uh, well, what's, what's, our, what's our next thing? Okay, well, let's make it something like PowerShell. You know, let's make it base 64. If you follow any type of like malware or uh, focused uh, attack from APT, they, they basically follow the same kind of playbook where they go, here's our target. Okay, well, what do we need to do? Well, what are they going to use? They're probably using Microsoft products. So let's make it Microsoft-y. And then they'll get the second stage, which is going to be some sort of base 64 encoded string of text. Once it gets decoded, it'll run the third stage. And that third stage actually downloads more malware, which gives us command and control. And that's how these things typically go. They're still doing that. They're just changing the way in which that gets done. And then they ran into the fact that they weren't prepared that the people that they were actually targeting weren't running Microsoft-based products. They were running Mac OS. And so none of their PowerShell or VBA or whatever it is they're doing worked. So they had to go back and go, well, what do we do? So it's, this is all in a testing phase. That's what's happening right now. They're testing their attack chain to see where the problems will lie and fixing it on the fly and actually still continuing to reach back out and go, I'm so sorry you couldn't access that file. Try it again. We had to add some, some more security features, so go ahead and try it again. All the social engineering and everything still works. They just need to make sure, oh, now that I know you're running on an Apple-based product, I need to modify what we're doing so that it runs my malware in an Apple world. So it's going to be Maco files and Apple script and bash scripts and that stuff is going to do all this stuff instead of PowerShell. And there you go. I did think one thing was interesting, the the, the social engineering piece of it, because yeah. the, the way they're trying to get people to open the attachment is they're posing as other scientists. Yeah. Right? So they're, they're spoofing emails and things like that to look like scientists that a target would know. And they're attaching documents, which I don't know if they're PDFs or whatever, something that has... So they use a mock document. They use something that when you run the malware, you actually get a PDF that kind of supports the social engineering. Okay. You see what looks like legitimate information, has all the right stuff. So they're crafting this together so that you're none the wiser and no red flags go up. 
And so they're, they're asking the scientists, hey, can you review this document for me? Not it, like these scientists, nuclear scientists, they're, they're under constant uh, alert about people are going to try and, and get data out of me. Here, they're sending data to you. Could, would you review this document? And they're even going as far as to say, we will pay you to review this document and provide us your feedback. So now it's like a, a financial incentive. Now, this couldn't be an attacker. They're willing to pay me. They're yeah, not, they'll they, send me an NDA and everything. Yeah, it's not like the Nigerian Prince scam where they <laughs> want my money. They're giving me money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because so, you have something valuable. <laughs> they're willing to pay. Yep, there you go. So, you know, targeted phishing attacks like these can be, can be significant. And uh, in my opinion... And I, I don't know, this is probably me reaching a bit, but I think this is largely facilitated by LinkedIn. It, mm. It's too easy to figure out, like, do you know any nuclear scientists? Not personally, no. Neither do I. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't name one. Um, maybe Albert Einstein, yeah. I guess, but I hear he's not answering email. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, uh, he's but gone dark. <laughs> I bet I could go on LinkedIn and find a nuclear scientist. I'm sure you could. And so, you know, if you're going to run a phishing campaign knowing people in a job position, mm -hmm. knowing their associates, people that they might know if you want to spoof, yeah, like help. LinkedIn facilitates a lot of that. Welcome to open source intelligence, man, right? Yeah. Like that's that's why that phase of hacking is so important, doing your reconnaissance, using open source intelligence and the tools that allow you to do open source intelligence is highly effective because the more I know about my target, the more efficient and effective my social engineer is going to be. When we were going through, when I was first learning about, you know, the, the steps and things when it comes to mm -hmm. cyber attacks and Learning about all that, the reconnaissance was the thing that I paid the most attention to or that not excited me, but that interested me the most yeah. because it was the one step in the process that I was like, oh, I could do that. You can do that. But I would, but I could. I don't, you know, there was not a whole lot that I would have had to have, you know, skill set or tools or anything because it's it's just a matter of like using things like LinkedIn and it was openly available to me. Yeah. Yeah, I could easily do. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And there's such easy tools to help us do these things. Mm -hmm. And of course, we live in a world and time where everyone wants everything about them online, mm -hmm. right? And you're, even your organization, right? Like we work for ACI. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you can go to ACI and find out who our CEO is. You can probably find out who a couple of our other higher-ups are. Not naming any names, but his initials are Don Pizzette, uh, <laughs> right? And therefore, you can start to learn and profile our organization, who is there. You can know the right names, the right times, the right things, email addresses, phone numbers, do you start crafting things that look very legitimate based off of just what we freely want you to know about us? Mm. And and that is the danger behind it. I'm I'm trying to get Chat GPT to give me lists of nuclear scientists right oh, now. So I'm, I'm probably ending up on a watch list really fast. <laughs> Enjoy I'm, the FISA court, Don. <laughs> I'm already on Oracle's watch list and now, now I'm going to the US government. Um, but I'm I'm failing to get it. So uh, oh. at first it was arguing that it doesn't have real-time information, but then I asked for historical uh, yeah. And it just says it doesn't have access to a comprehensive database. Um, I would think a Google search even, you could probably look up like papers on nuclear physics. Yeah. And you would see, yeah. you know, people that do nuclear physics are you, publishing. Like you, you have to that, publish to get a PhD, right? There's that website that has bootleg scientific journals. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what they're called. It's in the news every so often because um, that's a big money racket that they're, <laughs> that they're compromising. But uh yeah, you could go pull scientific journals, and there you go. Yeah, I'm sure they have the best security ever. Because <laughs> they're bootlegging documents <laughs> <Yeah>. already. <laughs> so, 
real quick, before we before we close out this episode, I know it wasn't one of the articles we were going to cover. Do you mind if I throw in a quick piece of news just really, really fast, if I promise to be quick? Sure. It's something we covered last week, and there was an update that literally just came out. No way. She's very excited so, about this. Okay, so you know that we were talking yeah. about the Microsoft FTC case last week that they, yeah. they wanted a temporary restraining order against Microsoft. So the judge turned it down. They said, no, you're not getting this restraining order. So Microsoft's going to go ahead and try to close the deal around the UK block. They're going to try to work with the UK to get her, you know, to yeah, yeah. Be, be able to carry out the deal there too. But they're going to basically go around it for now. So they're going to meet their July 18th deadline. They will not have to pay Activision $3 billion and they will absorb Activision. They will acquire How crazy Whoa, is that? Oh, that's yeah. insane. Yeah. It's the biggest tech acquisition, like in his, it's like $69 billion or something. You know, <laughs> crazy. I, I thought about it. Like, if the deal falls through, they have to pay a three billion dollar fine. That that's yeah, crazy. That's a lot of money, itself, right? But I also thought, like, the UK, they're great people. Yeah, but it's a very small market. So for a company like Microsoft, could they just say we're not going to sell to to people in Britain anymore? Mm. <laughs> you know, and they could. could they yeah, do that? They I, could. I think they could. I think they could. I yeah. don't see that they would. I mean. As any good salesman will tell you, I don't care how much money you got, I want it all. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Sales mantra. Yeah. Part of the reasoning, I guess, for the judge saying, like, we're gonna I'm gonna deny this uh this injunction that you're wanting is because she's like, Well, now we've got it on record that Microsoft was several times in court, don't worry, we're gonna have Call of Duty on PlayStation for at least another ten years. We're not gonna break our side of the deal, whatever. So they're like she's like, Okay. So they've said this publicly, they've you know, several times in writing. Right. There should be no need for an injunction. They're going to do what they said they were going to do, and right. they can go ahead with their deal. Um, so yeah, I just thought it, it was yeah. literally like as we were recording, it came up, and nice. I, just, I didn't want to leave it out. So oh, that's cool. You know, is it just me? Like I, I think it's weird that you can get a restraining order against a company. That seems like something right. you. <laughs> I've been personally yeah, victimized by anthropomorphized. You get on your ex, <laughs> like yeah, Microsoft isn't going to come tapping on my window in the middle of the night. Yeah, <laughs> with a knife. Not your window, <laughs> yeah. baby. Yeah. Speak for yourself. You mean Baba Yaga. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for letting me throw that in there. I just, you know, you get a bonus seventh segment on today's Technado. So it wasn't all cynicism. There was some interesting things <laughs> in there. Uh, but before we go, I did want to mention that Technado is sponsored by ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. So if you're listening from the Technado website, you can click on that big orange button that says sponsored by, and that'll take you to the website. If you want to support the podcast, check out those courses, and you can use the promo code Technado30 for a discount on your IT Pro membership. You can also check out ACI Learning's webinars and live on social events. Uh, we've got a free weekend coming up this weekend, July 15th and 16th. So check that out. And of course, here in the next month, we are going to have a, a booth at Black Hat. So there will be some representatives there from ACI Learning. Uh, I'll have some more information as we get closer to it. But if you'll be there in Vegas, go check out their booth. With that said, I think that's going to wrap it up for me. Is there anything that I'm forgetting? I'm Rick James. <laughs> you do do what you want. That is true. All right. Well, then we'll just leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Technado. We'll see you next time.